uh, chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4. We'll be looking at uh, verses 4 through 9. And if you need a pew Bible, there should be one close to you. And you can turn to page 982 for the text today. 982. Let's say that uh, you get up in the morning, gentlemen. You begin to look at your face. You shave. And then you cut yourself. And you're bleeding like a stuck pig. Anybody, that ever happened to anybody here? You're bleeding, and you take that little piece of toilet paper, you stick it on your face, and you hope it goes away, but it just continues to bleed. And you're like, why in the world did that happen today? You're on your way to work, and uh, somebody slams on the brakes in front of you. You can't come to a stop soon enough, and you bam, right into them. And you think, Wow. What in the world is going on this morning? I cut myself and now I've banged into someone. Maybe you lose your job to that great necessity that corporations have in cutting back. We've got to cut back, you know. Perhaps the stock market loss taps into your retirement once again. You may have this uh, recurring question, young people. How am I going to pay for college? How am I going to pay uh, these student loans off? Another storm comes through. And there's those big balls of hail that everybody puts on their Facebook pages. And they're banging holes in your car again. Your parents are getting older. And you wonder, how in the world am I going to care for them? You go home again, you walk in the house, you say a couple words, and then all of a sudden you and your spouse are into that discussion over that issue again, which leads to a heated conversation once again. Um, maybe your body just doesn't respond like it did when you were younger, and you're like me, and you tear your hamstring again, you know. A parent dies friends die. Maybe even a child dies. The reality is, is that we all want stabilization, don't we? we? We want peace. And yet it seems that in this world, it is so far away from us. So it drives us to this question. Is there anything such as peace in this world? And if there is, how can I attain it? Today's passage communicates to us how we may, as His children, experience the extraordinary supernatural peace of God, which is beyond our comprehension in a life and in a world that is anything but peaceful. So let's listen to Paul's passage today, and, and we'll begin to unpack it as we think about it. Hear the word of the Lord, Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, 
whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you, I pray that you and the power of the Holy Spirit would would grab our hearts, capture our attention, our minds, and renew us with your word that we need so desperately. And pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, as you open uh, the commentator's uh, comments on these particular passages, you'll see all sorts of things line up as to how you would come at this particular set of scriptures. It, it appears that Paul is just you know, laying out things that he is, he is commanding the church to do. As a matter of fact, there are seven imperatives in this passage here. Uh, the verse naturally seems to divide into two sections, 4, 7, and 8, and 9. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I see is in this passage, and one of the things that I kind of connected in this that I found interesting, is that everything here, and even in the previous verse that we looked at last week when it became to the, to the relationship between the two ladies that Paul was calling out, in that passage, this whole section here just seems to have the theme of peace running in and through it. And I think Paul here is revealing to us the truth that true peace can only come in God who made us and, and whom we have been received through His Son. And so what he's saying here is, is stand firm in that. Stand firm in the reality of Jesus and you will find peace. So let's unpack this by first of all looking at the source of peace in this world. And I would say the only source of true peace in this world. And then let's look at the Christian's acquisition of peace in life. Now what is the source of peace in this world? Well, countless books and blogs and poems and songs and movies and documentaries communicate the needs that humanity has. We have needs. A psychologist Abraham Maslow theorized a hierarchy of needs in terms of psychological needs, safety needs, belonging and love needs, social needs, or maybe esteem is how he presented that, and then finally self-actualization. Now what's interesting is as we think about this from a psychological perspective, or we think about the books that are written and the movies that are there, At the center of it all is this ultimate desire for peace. I mean, it's really there. Think about it. That's what we desire is this peace. If you you think about Merriam-Webster's dictionary definition, you'll see how this correlates. Here's here's how it kind of lays it out in in Webster's dictionary. It's a state, peace is a state of tranquility or quiet. So when you think about peace, you think of tranquility, quiet. Maybe you think about being, sometimes I think about a a giant lake at at a mountain, you know, how peaceful that can be. If you've ever hiked in Colorado and you come up to the lakes that are up there, the snowdrift lakes, it's like, oh, that's peaceful. 
Or maybe some of you see it sitting on an, an island somewhere, looking out over the ocean, hearing the waves. So peace, tranquility, quiet. It's freedom from a disquieting or, or oppressive thoughts or emotion. So you don't have that raging oppressive thoughts or emotions going on inside you. You know, that's peace. A, a third element of peace that Webster kind of puts out here is harmony in personal relationships. So you don't have, you're not at odds with someone. You have peace in those particular relationships, whether they're with your spouse, your parents, your work relationships, or whatever the case may be. Maybe it's a, finally, the, he puts down it's a state of, uh, or period of mutual concord between governments. So that's another level of peace we think about is, is when there's peace between governments. And we all want that and desire that. But do you see how this definition of peace and how these various definitions of how we understand peace, let me put it that way, correlate with our needs? Do you see how that works together? It really does focus on our needs. And, and we think about that when it comes to you know, food and water and safety and finances and relationships. We want peace there is what we want. And yet, again, there seems to be so little peace in this world that we live in. Now, I'm, as a pastor, I often ask the question, and you'll notice this as I come up to you, I'll say, so how have you been doing? Or how are things going? I'll say something like that. Now, every once in a while, some of you people do this. You say this to me. Do you really want to know how I'm doing? Or are you just asking that, wanting me to give you the normal, oh, it's all good kind of speech? What do you want to hear? Now, every one of us knows that as soon as that comes out of your mouth, that things are going on in your life that aren't peaceful, don't we? We know that. There's lack of peace. There's lack of those things. We know that life is hard. We know that difficulties abound, that Mr. Trouble is just around the corner. And in essence, what we realize when we kind of think about that is, is this world is broken. It's broken. And so this is why it's important for us to see what Paul is driving at in this passage. We have to look at more than what's here just as in, a, in, a, in a quick glance. What we see here is that true peace can only come through the Son of God who made us. If you step back and look at the passage, you see that clearly. Only through the Son of God who made us can peace come. Now, some of us here today may not truly understand, or maybe we've heard it, uh, maybe it's been preached, uh, one of my favorite things is I'll listen to people say, you know, I never heard the gospel preached until this point in my life. And then I became a believer. And I sit there and I think, it's interesting. Probably what was going on is the gospel was being preached to you all along, but you never really had the ears to hear as Jesus talked about. And then Jesus went and opened up your ears. We need to understand the condition that we're in. So... Maybe you're here today and you don't quite understand why we have such a, a, a world of brokenness around us. Well, the Scriptures reveal to us that we do not have peace in this world because this world is cursed. 
God cursed this world because of man's rebellion and disobedience against Him, the Creator God. And so what happened is, is that because of our actions, we have created the mess that we now see around us in every level of our lives. It's, it's in our lives in terms of relationship. It's in our lives in terms of environment. It's a mess. The real issue when we face, that, that we face then is what is the solution to this mess? This mess exists. You just have to look in the newspaper. You just have to listen to the radio. You just have to look in the mirror. This mess exists. There's a lack of peace. So what is the solution? How can we have peace? How can we have, as the Hebrews would say, shalom? The world's answers are many. The world would say, just stop it. Stop fighting Stop being a jerk. Stop being a racist. Stop, and you could put whatever you want in the blank there. Just stop it. That's one way the world looks at it. Another way the world looks at it is this. All you need to do is just go to your bar and have a drink, and it'll all be good. Have another shot of whiskey. Have another beer. Uh, Maybe even go down the street and find somebody that's selling some marijuana and take a toke. It's all good. Just relax. It'll be good. Whatever. Whatever it takes to escape. That's another of the world's ways that you can have some peace. Another way is is that we think that if I could be in charge, if I could be my own man, my own woman, if I could just make it and reach that next plateau, I'd have peace. I will have arrived. That's what the world tells us. How about this one? No more negative thoughts. No more negative thoughts. Just don't think negative thoughts. It'll all be okay. Positive thinking. Be true to your heart. You've heard that one before. Be true to your heart. You can have peace. Or maybe the famous Beatles song maybe resonates with you. All we need is love. All we need is that's all we need. And and as you hear that, the list can go on and on and on. And peace is offered by the world. And listen to me, it is an empty promise time and time again. It only brings temporary comfort. So the solution can only come from the Creator. I think we struggle with that sometimes. Just like we do with our sin. We, we, we want to be in charge. We want to be God. And so we think, I can take control of this. And so we try to. But the world only offers a temporary solution. And the Creator though, it is He that gives us more than that. More than that. It is only by Him. Not of ourselves. There's nothing in ourselves or this created world by which we may have peace. So the solution of God is this. He offers His Son, Jesus. It may sound simple. It may sound ridiculous. But I want you to hear me. I want you to understand, even if it's just for the first time, to hear the gospel truth of this. It is only in Jesus that we can have peace. Now, some of you may be thinking, Yeah, but. There are no yeah, buts. There just aren't. 
He is real, and that is the thing about it. He is real. He came. What did he do? He came and he lived a life that was perfect. That's what the scripture tells us. There's all these witnesses that, that, that witness to it and say, these things happen. This is who he is. This is what he did. Not only did he live a perfect life, but he also did all these miracles. He healed all these people. He did all these things. And then the scripture tells us that he was taken. Regardless of all those things, again, the world, the way, it's interesting to me that the God of peace would come and the rest of the world is thinking, we don't want your peace so much so that we're going to put you to death so that we can have some peace from you. That's exactly what they did. The, the, the Jewish people at the time, the religious leaders there, did not want the peace of Jesus. And so they put him to death. And the Romans were only too happy to comply. And so he was taken to the cross for you. And he died for your sins. And in his resurrection, he gives you his righteousness. This is the gospel. And so if you turn into the, the, to the beginning of what's called John Calvin's Institutes, he says something very profound there. Listen to what he says. He says this. It is certain that man never achieves a clear knowledge of himself unless he has first looked upon God's face. So what does he mean by that? That means that the gospel is the basis from which we may have peace, which we may have joy, which we may have stability in this world, even as we stumble and face trial and tribulation. What Calvin is rightly saying there is, is that if you're a created being, and we all are, it is only in seeing the Creator that you can truly understand yourself. And even then, begin to attempt to understand the Creator. And I'm telling you, that's true. It's true. And so, come and trust in Jesus. Trust in Him and find peace from God. This is the first step to real and true peace with God, with others, and with yourself. Because that's what the Scripture teaches. Why does Jesus say, this is the command I give to you, love one another? Because love flowed from Him as He came to die for us. And so when we're in Him, those relationships that he's just talked about that are, that are still, and I'm going to come to this in a minute, that are still struggling there, can be healed in him. Because if you remember last week, if you were here, that's what he said. In Christ, agree in the Lord. In the Lord. So come to him and find true peace with God. Find true peace with others. Find true peace with yourself. It is to this gospel message that Paul, or, or it is this gospel message that Paul first gave to the Philippians when he went to Philippi. And it is the basis of all the exhortations that have flown through this letter and even here in chapter 4. And so as we think about that for a minute, what commands would he have for us in the gospel? So he's saying, this is the gospel. You have true peace in Christ. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to command how you are to access that peace. So how do we do that? 
That brings us to our first, our second point, the Christian's acquisition of peace in life. So let's say this just for a moment, just, just between us. Patrick, that's great. I've heard the gospel. I have the gospel, but my life's still hard. It's still a mess, and I don't have a lot of peace. What do I do about that? Because it's true. I mean, even what we read here concerning Yodia and Synthke. These ladies don't have a lot of peace between them right now. And that's what Paul's talking about. That's why he's bringing up these commandments. Remember the gospel. Now let me command you how to live in the gospel. That's what Paul's doing. So let's say we have Christ. And we have peace with God through Jesus. But we still live in this troubled and strife-inducing world. And we have all the mess that we face every day. What of that? It still affects us, and at times it seems, as the psalmist says, that the wicked prosper while we still lack peace than we desire. Why is that? Well, let me tell you, we must understand that our God offers us peace. And listen to me carefully, it's different than the world. It's different than the world's view of peace. It is a peace in the midst of chaos. When we face difficult situations, when we face uh, difficult relationships, health problems, or financial crisis, uh, the momentary quiet of the world's peace is disrupted and chaos rules the day. But His peace that we have been given in Christ doesn't change with circumstances. In fact, it is secure in spite of the circumstances. What I have in mind when I think about this is Jesus out on the boat with the disciples and the storm's coming and all this wind is blowing like the storm that came through here yesterday and who knows what's going on on that boat and those guys are scared to death and what's Jesus doing? He's sleeping in the boat. Wake up, Jesus! What are you doing? We're all going to die. Peace be still. Jesus is with us in this chaos. And this is what Paul is saying here to us, even in the context of the writing of the letter. I want you to think about it. As Paul writes this, you know, he starts off the verse by saying, Rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. And it's a command there. We're going to talk about that here in just a second. Rejoice. It's a command. And Paul's in chains, he's in prison. How in the world can a, a person in prison say rejoice? But he does. Some are preaching the gospel out of envy and rivalry and selfish ambition. Corrupt teachers abound and he's warning the church about them. There's issues in Philippi and a host of other issues that are going on in the churches he's planted. And yet he pins the words Rejoice. And if that weren't enough, if we could go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and we get a broader glimpse of his personal chaos, even as an apostle. Think about it just for a minute. Listen to these words. I've worked harder and been jailed more often, beat up more times than I can count. And at death's door, time after time, I've been flogged five times with the Jews' 39 lashes. Think about that. Beaten five times with those 39 lashes. Five times. Beaten by Roman rods three times. Pummeled with rocks once. I've been shipwrecked three times and immersed in the open sea for a night and a day. In hard traveling, year in and year out, I've had to ford rivers, fend off robbers, 
struggle with friends, struggle with foes. I've been at risk in the city, at risk in the country, endangered by the desert sun and the sea storm. I've been betrayed by those I thought were my brothers. I've known drudgery and hard labor. Many a lone and lonely night I've spent without sleep. I've missed many meals. I've been blasted by the cold and I've been naked in bad weather. Do you think Paul can speak about the peace of Christ in the midst of all that mess? That's what he's doing in this letter. A little bit earlier, he said this. He says, that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. May a man that has that sort of focus be able to tell us about God's peace and chaos. Sure he has. Sure he can. And so let's listen to what he tells us here. He gives us a few directives for us in terms of how we can live in and access this peace in the midst of our everyday troubles, even in our life-altering issues. Now, I want to say this, that you can divide up these commands and keep them separately. You can divide up several sections of this. But what I see in the center of all of these, these commands here is this theme of the peace of God. So I want you to look at it that way with me. First of all, he says rejoice in the Lord. Again, rejoice in this verse is not a suggestion. It's an imperative. And one that we've heard already in, in uh, Philippians 3.1 when he said rejoice in the Lord. And it carries with it this idea of not only delighting in Him, but putting one's soul confidence for salvation and personal godliness in Him. Now, many struggle with this. Why? Because it's hard for us to see how joy can be commanded, isn't it? Be joyful. Okay. You know, because we look at it as an emotion. Okay, but this is the essence. This rejoicing is the essence uh, both of joy and peace in God. It's when we rely on His grace and seek this joy from Him that He is able to give it to us in any circumstance. And so here's how Augustine puts this, okay? I want you to listen to St. Augustine as he, he puts it this way. He says this, Lord, command what you will, but give what you command. Command what you will, but give what you command. That's Paul's heart here, I truly believe. Rejoice. I don't feel joyful. Rejoice. But I don't want to. Rejoice. Look at what he's done. Look at how he's given for you. Look at his great mercy. Look at how He's cared for you in the past. Things may look bleak right now, but they're not. Because He's with you. Because of all that He has done, and the hope that we have in Him in the future, no matter what the day may look like, no matter what comes our way, we are able to rejoice, and in fact, we should. Paul will explain a little bit later in the letter and and actually next week's text that in every circumstance, he was content. Notice it, in every circumstance. 
While he's in chains in prison, he's content. Why? Because of the joy and peace that he has in Christ. He knows that ultimately, and this is how you have to look at it, he knows that ultimately Christ holds it providentially in his hands. And that those bad things have happened, and they're not outside of Christ's control. And again and again and again, those situations will drive you to Christ. Last week, uh, you know, I told you I've been sick the last couple of weeks. And um, the, the last weekend, or last week, last Thursday, a week, you know, week ago, I, I was just so tired and I was just feeling horrible. And um, all the kids and Chris and everybody were at, at Six Flags. And I thought, I'm just going to go home and study at home. And so I just had, I'm like, I'm going to go do this. And I just, I need to, to rest a little and I'll study. And I feel pretty good about the way the sermon's going. And I backed up in that parking lot and I ran into a guy's truck out here. And under my breath, I was like, <clears throat> you know, that car I drive, it's, you know, there's all, all these kind of issues with it that frustrate me. And I'm like, I cannot believe it. It didn't do one thing to his car, but it totally crashed my back bumper. So do you know what I spent the day doing? Going to three different, you know, repair body shops to see if, what it would cost me to get that thing fixed. That's frustrating, isn't it? And I was angry. What does the Lord command me to do? Rejoice. Rejoice. No, it might have taken all afternoon to get to that place. <laughs> That's okay. Rejoice. Rejoice. And I'm sure every one of you have had that same situation. In that, we'll find the peace of God. This is where I came out with it. It's, it's, all, it, it's all His anyway. It's His car. I know I ran it into something, but it's His car. He'll take care of it. It'll all be all right. The second thing that he tells us here in terms of a, of a command is make known. Make known what? Your gentleness. Now, if you're reading in the ESV, it's translated your reasonableness. But I kind of agree, agree with O'Brien here. I think it's better translated gentleness. And I know there are several, and, and even in the ESV, if you look, there's a little note there, and it says you can translate it gentleness. Some translators have that. I like that a little bit better. And this is a you know, kind of a difficult word to, for us to grasp with in, in English, which is why it's like that. But this, this, it, there's a lot of things that are here, but one of the things that I think that's going on in the passage, and, and O'Brien brings us out, he says this, gentleness signifies a humble, patient steadfastness, which is able to submit to injustice, disgrace, and maltreatment without hatred or malice, trusting God in spite of it all. And so, you could put it like this. Gentleness is to be displayed toward all people, even our enemies. So now, I will say this. And this, that's why I want to drive home that aspect of gentleness here. That humble, patient, steadfastness, which is able to submit to injustice, disgrace, and maltreatment without hatred or malice. Trust in God in spite of all things, because I think that we need to hear it that way. Because often, even when we have conflict within our homes, with one another, we're enemies. Does that make sense? 
But if you were to take that same word and apply it to our enemies, He wants us to have gentleness. Now, why is that? Think about this with me. This can be done because the Lord is near us, both in space and time. This means that He is now close to His people and yet will also return. Sinclair Ferguson says this, Live daily with the expectation that the Lord will return as your Savior and also the judge of the world. Let that thought create a spirit of gentleness within you. For you know Him as Savior, and He has been gentle with you, although you deserve judgment. Do you see what Paul is saying? And I think Sinclair hits it right. This is what Paul is saying. He has been gentle to you. You be gentle with others. Be gentle with those who are close to you. Be gentle even with those enemies. And what will happen? What will happen in that? Making known our gentleness, you will find the peace of God. You know how it's said, if, if someone comes at you with, um, with an angry voice, if you respond to them in peace, they'll respond back. Olivia was at um, the, the Brahms the other night, and she's getting shakes for all the kids, you know. And there's people, and they're all huffy and puffy. And, you know, when you go in and order six shakes, you know, it's kind of a big deal. You know, oh, great, thanks. And so... She gets up to the cash register and she looks at the guy and she says, you know, I worked at Chick-fil-A. Thank you so much. I know how hard it is to do that. And she says, the guy just smiles. Well, you're very welcome. I'm here to serve. Hey, Mr. Grumpy got turned into happy. <laughs> because Olivia was gentle with him. Do you see how that works? Gentleness. You will know and find the peace of God. The third thing he gives us here, the third command that comes up is this. Be anxious for nothing. He gives us this. It's a negative command, but it has a positive thrust to it. Do not be anxious about anything. Jesus spoke more pointedly about anxiety in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. There He stated most of the common uh, causes of anxiety. The physical attributes, clothing, food, drink, and the future. And as we have pointed out, even in contemporary life with its complexities, these simple concerns cause anxiety. And He still commands us, do not be anxious. Gentlemen, you know when the bills start coming in, you're like, oh, I cannot believe. Yeah, I had to fix that. Oh, I had to deal with that. All oh, this, all that. And you're just like, oh, anxious about it. It's just contemporary life. When you have those relationship issues... You go home, you can't sleep, it's frustrating because of someone at work. Here again, you know, Jesus has talked about all this in the Sermon on the Mount. These things are still a part of our world as they were with that world then. Nothing has changed on that level. And so do not be anxious. But what does He offer us in response for this? And let me just say this here before I get to say that. I know that there are levels of anxiousness that are chemical issues. I think what he is talking about here is everyday normal anxieties. Some people should go to a doctor. And if they, they're just continually anxious, they should go to a doctor and have that stuff checked out. Because you may need medication. It's very possible. So I don't think Paul's talking about that here. But you have to realize in Paul's day that there was no such thing as medication. 
But he's still applying this to these people. So be careful. This is an offer of help for anxiety. And what is it? It is prayer. It is prayer. Humbly seeking God with thanksgiving and prayer helps in the problem of anxiety. And this too is commanded. Present your request to God is the next command. Present your request to God. The attitude of gratitude that accompanies all approaches to the Father and seeking Him in our anxiousness will bring relief. Now, what I would say to you is this. You go to Him and you pray, and you can't go, Lord, I'm anxious, I need your help, please be with me. Okay, I'm done. (laughs) It doesn't work that way. It may be that you have to go continually to Him. It may be that you have to sit in a room and be quiet. You may need to turn on some music and think about the things of the Lord. You may need to get out your Bible and pray the prayers of the Psalms back to the Lord. But prayer is a means by which He gives us to give us relief. And this too here explicitly brings peace with God. He doesn't envision a situation where circumstances have changed necessarily. They may not change. That's not the point. Again, it's not like the world sees it. I pray it's over. I'm good. No, that's how the world sees it. What Jesus is saying here is is that that conflict, that particular issue may last, but you'll find peace in me through it. He does envision A divine peace which transcends all understanding and will guard. Look at the text here. It says He will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And Paul's image here of of guarding here is soldiers standing guard, garrisoning our thinking, our wills, and our emotions. God will keep us in His care, whether our specific requests are granted or not. So here's the issue. You can live with absolute confidence that you can put your anxiety further and further away by turning to Him thankfully in prayer about everything. Maybe you've noticed this before. I have. Maybe you have. Maybe you haven't. But one of the things I've noticed is is that the people who pray the most, the people that I know pray the most, they're most often uh, the most peaceful people. They really are. Just think about that. The last command, or the last two commands that come together, uh, are, are the first one is think this way. And these two come together. Okay, So think this way is the last one that he gives us. Along with prayer, he, he, he commands us to fill our minds with thoughts that are pleasing to God and God-centered, and he, um, is he, God-centered thinking is essential to experiencing peace with Him. In our minds... Um, that have been previously filled with all sorts of anxious thoughts and are not being filled with thoughts that are uh, godly, anxiety will rule. And so I think there's a continuation here when he says, when he says, finally, it could be, you know, also here, it could be, it could be translated that way. In addition to, I want you to think this way. So you're, you're, you're upset, you're having all these thoughts, all these things, and he says, no, I want you to think on these things. One theologian puts it this way, a mindful of these 
will leave little room for anxiety-producing, peace-disrupting, joy-destroying thoughts. What are these? They are whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, anything excellent or praiseworthy. Be thinking about those things. And I don't think this is necessarily a comprehensive list, but it serves clearly to express the type of things that should fill our minds. Things that should lead us to focus on the things of God. This is an ongoing activity. This this verb tense is in the present tense. So it's an ongoing activity. So it tells us that our minds are to always be thinking about something that is God-centered. We must seek God's help to discipline our minds and to think about His truth. You know, we get this truth from the um, apostles' example. Paul makes it clear here. It's, it's, you know, look at me. Look at me. Look at what he says into this last command. Put into practice. That's the last command. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. So think about the things I've taught you. Think about the example I have been for you. We're to put into practice all that we have learned and received and heard and seen in Paul and the other apostles in terms of their testimony and life in Christ. How do we do that? When we gather here each week, that's what we're doing. We're trying to hear the Word of God and think about it. When we're gathering in our groups, our studies, we're doing that. When we're gathering with our families and praying and talking about the Word, we're doing that. And what happens as a result of that, as a result of thinking about the things of God and listening and hearing it in our hearts and going over it in our heads. You know, this morning I'm, I'm uh, coming to the church and all these crazy thoughts are going through my mind. I'm like, Lord, I am not going to be distracted by all that. I want to think about you and your glory. Sometimes we just have to do that. And focus on those things. What comes? The text here says, and the peace of God will be with you. I'm sorry, let me repeat that. And the God of peace will be with you. Did you catch that? In the verse 9, Paul says, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds of Christ Jesus. But here, the promise is different. The God of peace will be with you. Think about that just for a moment. What does that look like? I have this vision sometimes of the Christian life being like a hike. Maybe it's because I like hiking so much. And and you're on a trail, and, and you have to put yourself not as an adult, but as a little child, okay? And you're on the trail and you come across these areas where it's shaded and cool and beautiful and it's kind of flat and maybe there's moss on the side of the trail and you're walking and it's all good and it's great and you're a little kid and you're loving it. And then you come to this leafy area and there's roots in the way and you trip and you stub your toe and, and your dad's ahead of you and he's like, come on, little man, come on, let's go. And, and, and you're, but you're struggling a little bit. That's life, isn't it? But then every once in a while you come across this place where there's, it goes up in an incline and maybe it's way up and you're this little kid and you're like, I'll never get up there. I remember when I was first riding motorcycles with, with uh, 
uh, a bunch of our friends and stuff. We went to this place we'd never been before. And I remember we came up to this big hill and it was this big uh, place that went straight down almost. And it was these huge boulders. And I went, I'll never be able to do that. Years later, when we would go, it was like, hey, this is fun. You know, you're just going. You're just doing it. But you're walking with your, your Father, your Heavenly Father, the God of peace who is with you. And, and, he's, and He's holding your hand. And He's pointing out these boulders. And He's saying, okay, you need to step right there. And you're thinking, there's no way I can get there. My little legs won't stretch that far. But He says, hold on to my hand and go. And so you go. And he holds your hand and you land safely. The God of peace will be with you through the giant boulders of life. Trust in him and your salvation. Trust in him as he commands you to live out certain ways in which you can attain the peace of God. Trust Him, for the God of peace is with you. Let's pray.